welcome to Practice Pursuit for Therapists, the podcast dedicated to guiding therapists on the path to launch and grow their own successful private practice. We are Rachel and Adrian, and we are thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Navigating the world of private practice can be a daunting endeavor filled with uncertainties, and that's where this podcast comes in. Practice Pursuit for Therapists is here to host open and honest discussions around the most challenging aspects of being a therapeneur. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the crucial and intimidating aspects of starting a business. We want to support you in this emotional journey. We're here to help you take meaningful steps to overcome insecurities and doubts that might otherwise hold you back. Let's get started. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the martyr complex as a helping professional. So often in our culture, helping professionals are expected to have kind of a martyr mindset. You're going to give all your energy, all your time, but you're not going to make the money to compensate for your energy and time, and you're going to be constantly burned out. When I talk about a martyr complex in this context, I'm not talking about the self-imposed victim mindset that You know, if you Google search martyr complex, that's the definition that comes up. So maybe there's another term for what I'm trying to describe, but hopefully you get my drift. I'm talking about this mindset that's more imposed by the nature of our field. We, as helping professionals, really work hard and inevitably feel undervalued in a lot of cases. As people who get into a profession because we want to help other people. I think we also more commonly experience this mindset that helping others is more important than taking care of ourselves. And so a lot of times we put more value into what we're giving instead of what we're receiving. I remember when I first graduated, because you and I are both social workers. Mm -hmm. So when I first graduated, one of my first positions was with Child Protective Services. And I remember talking with a woman who had been working with Child Protective Services for, she was at the end of her career. I think it was like 15 years, 18 years, a long time. And she was telling me, she said, just get ready because you're going to be on welfare just like everybody else. She was like, I have been on food stamps and for my entire career with a graduate degree. Wow. And I remember thinking, what? Like that is, there's something so wrong Mm -hmm. if that is what we are to expect out of life that we've taken on student debt, we've poured ourselves into our program, we have all of this education and then to expect to barely live above the poverty level is yeah. just not okay. It's so not okay. It really shifting that mindset around it is okay for me to expect to have a decent life. Mm-hmm. And okay. there's ways to do that. Kind of like mm-hmm. what you're saying, people expect that you aren't going to make money. And I don't think it has to be the case. And that's one reason why I try to convince everyone I know that's a therapist to do private practice. Having a private practice allows you to create your own narrative in that sense. Why should it be normal to work so hard and barely make enough to live on? In our work, we tend to have a really high caseload, 
really high emotional demands. A lot of us experience vicarious trauma. On top of that, we have endless documentation and administration tasks, and we work in a high liability environment. We have to make sure we're documenting things correctly. We have to always keep things like medical necessity in mind. There's a lot that goes into our job, both mentally and emotionally. And I know helping professionals are not the only profession that gets overworked and maybe experiences this mentality. I really think it has a lot more to do with being in a capitalist culture. But, you know, helping professionals rarely get the compensation that matches the level of dedication and time we invest in our work. And one of my goals in having a practice and creating a group practice is to create my own culture that aligns more with my values. We deserve to make the money we need to make to not live and experience financial stress and burnout and overwhelm. Absolutely. And I think it's important to address because when you're starting out, this mentality can carry over. We experience a lot of limiting beliefs that can make the decision-making process grueling. This concept that because we're a helping professional, we do it out of the goodness of our heart. And so to want to make more money is maybe selfish. We struggle to believe that our services are worth as much as we should make, or we struggle to advocate for a healthy schedule. We maybe have an idea of what a good work-life balance would look like, but we start to change our schedule to meet the needs of others. Feeling guilty, maybe, for charging a client a late cancellation fee or a no-show fee. Feeling guilty about charging what other practitioners in this field are charging. So yeah, there's a lot of things that we have to work through when starting our own practice. It's one of the most important first barriers to tackle, in my opinion. I turned down a position with DHS in the state that I was living in. And at the time, I think they offered me like 32, maybe 33 a year to work with the hardest cases full time. And I remember thinking, what the heck? Like I made more working in a restaurant in high school. (laughs) And now I have a graduate degree. It is really sad. And my job that I left to pursue grad school at the time I left, I was making 45. And so here I was, I've got a graduate degree and and my entry-level positions are going to pay $10,000 less a year than what I was making before. And So I took a job and my first job outside of grad school was in a private practice and they offered me $20 an hour. And I thought, okay, (laughs) this is going to be, and granted, right? This was like $20 an hour meant more. Right, right. 15 years ago or 10 years ago or however long it was. But I was like, yes, $20, but it was still like nothing. It was pennies. And so coming through that and, you know, then working in the hospital system and working in other agencies, I was never offered more than 60 to 70. Yeah. And so that has my mindset set that that's what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. And looking at other jobs, like if you go on and look at job boards, that's what they pay. And so the idea that I could be worth more than that 
mean, I think that was one of the biggest barriers for me to jump off. It was one of the biggest motivators and the biggest barriers for me to leave a W-2'd position to go and do my own thing. And it was because I was afraid of charging what I needed to make. And the idea of telling somebody that I want to make more than $100 an hour and like having to actually say it to them in their, to their face yeah. <laughs> right, and collect the money felt so obscene to me because my entire career has been pro bono and, you know, you do stuff on the side or somebody needs help and you just step in and you just do it because that's most of us who go into helping professions, that's how Mm -hmm. we're built. That's why we go into helping professions, but then we don't value the services that we provide. And then when that's reinforced by the society and the culture and our jobs, yeah, it's hard to think outside of, of that mindset. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that it's not just helping professions. I know that this is a situation for a lot of people, maybe especially women and minorities. I think we could go on a social justice tangent, but I'll try to rein it in. The idea... And this ties back to some of the stuff we talked about in the imposter syndrome episode. The idea that we're worth something is an internal battle that we really have to confront when we're doing this work. And I am not perfect at it. I'm still working through it. Even though I've been doing this for several years now, I still struggle And it really breaks my heart that this is the case for a lot of people. I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to a single therapist wanting to start private practice that was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be so good. Like I'm going to feel so worthy and I'm going to be so confident and this is going to be amazing. Like all the thoughts we're having are of self doubt and wondering if we're worth it and struggling with making decisions around money and really deciding to establish our worth. It's just heartbreaking. You know, look at, look at other professions that don't require as much school Mm -hmm. and how much they're making are they struggling with that mentality or is it those of us that society has kind of established you're not worth making that money? What do you think? Are other people in other professions making more money? Are they thinking, oh, should I make this much money? I don't know if I'm worth this. I think it, I don't know. I think there's so many factors because, you know, I think where you come from, what you grew up with, what was normal, you know, if you come from, a family with money, then you're probably more used to having money. But I think as the money grows, I think almost anybody would feel out of sorts. You know, I have a friend who got a job and, you know, was making multiple six figures and they really struggled in the beginning with, okay, but I know how to do this job. And I did this job for less. (laughs) And now here I'm being offered this, which is great. And you know, it's exciting, but definitely the the mental struggle of this is weird. This is out of the norm and I'm not used yeah. to this. I don't know though. You know, you think about other professions, nurses, they make more than we do. Yeah. And they require a bachelor's degree, not a graduate degree. 
they get a graduate degree and they make way more than we do. Yeah. You look at engineers, right? Bachelor level engineers come out making six figures. Mm -hmm. Accountants, they make six figures. And I think, you know, I think for a lot of people too, who go into their career field, they choose it because of the money they can make. Mm -hmm. And so I think there may be a different expectation because, you know, this reminds me of a a conversation I had with my dad before I went back to grad school. And he was like, why are you going back for social work? He said, you're never going to make any money in social work. Go back to school. If you're going back to school, get a degree that you will make money with. And in my idealism, I was like, no, I want to do what I love. And, you know, I'm glad I did, but he also had a point. Mm. I'm listening to this book, Quit Like a Millionaire. Have you heard of it? No. It's fantastic. But it's, you know, learning how to build your wealth and reframing some of those thought processes around money. You know, it made me think about when we pursue, because one thing she says in the book is, you know, if you pursue your passion, it's not going to make you any money and you're going to be stuck. But if you can pursue something, a degree that you like, that is going to make you money, then you can, it'll give you the time to pursue your passion. And it's just a different mindset. So I think for those of us who pursued our passion and we're like, I don't, I'm not doing this for the money because all of us, we didn't get into this for the money. Mm -hmm. And yet it's a battle of, but I still need to pay my bills. Right. So I don't know. I think it might just be different mindsets and different fields and different expectations. And because in this field, we've never expected to make money. We've never been paid what we're worth for the Mm -hmm. education that we have. Maybe we've accepted it. I don't know. Yeah. I, you mentioned the idealism you felt. Mm -hmm. I want to do what I love. And I think that's an important thing to talk about too, because I think there is an idealism that if we're helping people and we're not focused on money, then maybe that will bring us a certain kind of happiness or joy that we would otherwise not get if we were focusing on money. And I don't think it's black and white like that. Mm. I don't think it needs to be black and white like that. But, you know, now being on the other side where that idealism is totally gone, totally left with the burnout that I experienced in my first few jobs, you know, I can say I'm glad I am doing what I'm doing. I maybe have some different values and thoughts about helping people than I did when I was that age when I decided to go into grad school for social work. But I am working on shifting my mindset for it to not be black and white. Draw from where I've come, where I've been, what decisions I've made, and then still move forward in trying to attain more. Not out of greed for money, because I think that's the black and white, is like you're doing what you love and you're helping people selflessly or you're greedy. I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of a mentality I went into social work with. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to help people. I'm going to save the world. It's not black and white. I can help people and I can do it in a way that feels symbiotic where Mm -hmm. I am getting the pay I need to make. I'm working with the people that are in my niche. So I'm getting a lot of excitement as I'm working with people. I think we can build off the decisions we've made so far and reestablish our excitement for the profession and make the money we want to make. 
all while battling this martyr complex. Yeah. Let's talk about thoughts on pro bono and sliding scale. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I have such a hard time. I don't offer sliding scale for new clients, and I don't think that I will. I have offered sliding scale for a couple of clients when they've lost health insurance, when it's like a short-term type of situation, and pro bono for those short-term types of situations. But I don't, and until I reach a different like echelon in my income, I just can't afford to. Right. And, you know, honestly, when I was in private practice the first time, I had a completely different mindset. Granted, I was fresh out of grad school and I was newly married. So I was just, it was still just really me. And I felt compelled to take pro bono inside and scale clients because I thought, well, that's what you're supposed to do. But I didn't really have anything to worry about because I just got married. My husband had full-time income, like we could make it work. But now I have kids and inflation is insane. Mm-hmm. And I just can't afford to do that. And so, whereas before I allowed that to happen, you know, I, I just can't anymore. And so it's a lot easier for me to say no. So I don't struggle with the guilt now that I did then because I think about, okay, if I say yes to this, then that's an hour that I can't make money. And that takes away from my kids. And it's a lot yeah. easier for me to stay. Mm-mm. I've got yeah. to feed my kids yeah. than it is, you know, for me to be like, oh, I want money to go to the movies. But there's nothing wrong with that either. Right, right. Right. And so I don't know. I have found that it is a lot easier for me to advocate for myself because I have children than it was for me to advocate when it was just me. Yeah. That's a good but- point. I don't do sliding scale or pro bono. I think that's something I felt guilt about initially because, you know, we are taught as social workers to be resources for the community and help the underserved. And, you know, there's like a mentality that comes along with being Mm -hmm. a social worker, but I can't afford it. Just like you said, I can't work for free. I think there are places who have grants and other sources of income that allow them to be able to do pro bono or sliding scale. I think that there's resources that allow these other places to offer that. I don't think it's just from the goodness of their heart. I don't think many places could really maintain a business if they did that. Absolutely. I mean, that's why there's community mental health that's why there's Medicaid. Yeah. That's why there's, I don't know, there's things like BetterHelp and all kinds of other things where you can get on and pay a, a smaller monthly amount so that you can still access resources. So there's resources out there and it's remembering that I think that can be yeah. hard. I know that's been hard for me in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, when I have a client who loses insurance or loses a job, being able to work with them. You know, because you've built up a relationship, you care about them. Right. And that makes it hard. It makes it hard to say, no, I can't work for free. Because, and I think that's what's complicated in our field is it's a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing that we learn is to build rapport and to create this space where they feel safe and comfortable. And so that in and of itself has so much value that it's hard to say, "Mm, sorry. 
I'll see you when you get a new job in the hardest time of your life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. I feel like our field is really complicated and it really does tug on your compassion and your heartstrings and trying to make those choices is it's a struggle. It is a struggle. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. It is. I I was going to say one thing and I'll end us with that. I think the only way to really combat that mentality and to combat the guilt and that sense that we need to be everything for everyone is to just stay mindful of where that comes from, what feeds that, and and to know that when you are the best version of yourself, when you don't have to worry about finances, when you are taking care of yourself, when you don't have to feel stressed and burnt out and overworked, you are being the best provider for your clients. And sometimes that helps me really let go of that. Just knowing that when I am doing what I can to be the best version of myself, everyone around me is happier. My clients are getting better service and I'm also living a happier life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise we're stressed out. We're anxious. Yeah. Yeah. We're not providing good service. Mm-mm. So yeah, that's it for today. Thank you all for joining in and listening to Practice Pursuit for Therapists. Please like, subscribe, and share if you love this episode. We appreciate you all and see you next time.